help us in this week, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you will, take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter number 17. Acts chapter 17. And uh, we're going to start getting into uh, some much more uh, detailed information. Uh, the last two weeks, we've uh, basically just given a high-level overview of some of the doctrine of the Jehovah's Witnesses and, and really trying to give an idea of <coughs> or a sense of the fact that uh, it really is a fear-based fear religion. Uh, they are not allowed to uh, give ear to or read about things that are against or anti-watchtower. In fact, if they even find out that your, uh, your discussion with them, your talking with them, is trying to undermine uh, the watchtower, if they catch on to that early enough in the conversation before they get too deeply involved in it, they will, they will do what they can to change the subject or to end the conversation. And um, I was able to come across some training videos that they use for some of their missionaries. I, I, they're very careful about not letting this stuff get out very much. And uh, I came across a couple of them. And uh, one of them was to show uh, the missionaries that come around to your house, what they call them uh, missionaries that come over, and uh, to show them how to redirect if you have a question. Uh, how to kind of sidestep that, put it on the back burner, and keep plowing ahead with what they want to say. And they train them how to do this. Um, they also train them how to end conversations. And one of the things that they train them to do is to pique your interest, to ask you questions that you don't have an answer to. So we're going to have a pop quiz here real quick, and hopefully you're listening the last two weeks. But there were two reasons that, primary reasons, there are a few others, but these are two very much the majority of these cases. There were two primary reasons why people are Jehovah's Witnesses. Anybody remember what those two were? They were born into it. That was the first one. Anybody know what the second one was? Anybody remember what the second one was? They didn't know their doctrine. All right? They looked for it. They are trained to pick holes in what you claim to be your doctrine. And if you don't have an answer for it, they jump on it. And they say, well, see, now our Bible, the New World Translation, they'll say, our Bible, it's better because we've gone back to the Greek and it's a better translation. And then the writings that they have, the six-volume set that uh, Charles uh, Taze Russell made, on uh, the, um, the scriptures, they equate those, uh, at least the the, um, the the committee that guides them, the eight men up in New York that guide them, they, uh, they equate those. In fact, they even probably put them on a, a level higher than scripture. Uh, I know at the time that Charles Taze Russell wrote them, uh, his comment was, they give more clarity on scripture than scripture itself does. And he actually made the statement, there's no need to read your Bible. Just read our studies in Scripture. And it's a six-volume set. So they get a lot of their doctrine from it. And so they'll, they'll, they'll pick holes in your doctrine. If you're not strong in your doctrine, they'll pick holes on it. They know the right questions to ask and how to form them. And they will, they will get you. If you don't know your doctrine, they will get you to start doubting some things 
And then they'll come in and say, now we have something that's even better than Scripture, that's more accurate than Scripture, and we'll help you study these things. And then they'll try to set up a time for a Bible study. And they'll bring in their literature and sit down with you. And I will say this, it's certainly erroneous and it has a lot of doctrinal flaws in it, but they, they do a good job of propagating their Bible studies. You see signs around town, uh, they don't, since COVID, they've changed a few things around. They do still have some missionaries that go door to door, although not nearly as much. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but there have been fewer uh, missionaries out and about since COVID. But what they have done is they've started setting up stands with their literature in a stand and a couple of missionaries there sitting at the stand and offering usually a sign that says free Bible. And uh, not everybody that does free Bibles is a Jehovah's Witness. I know Brother Oates at his church does it on Sunday afternoon down by Home Depot and other, other good groups that are out there doing it. Uh, but that's one of the things they'll do. They'll do free, free literature or free Bible study. Uh, in fact, I was going through uh, Maine and Mills, that intersection the other day where they normally put the big Christmas tree up at Christmas time. And they had a sign there, free Bible study. Uh, well, that's, that's Jehovah's Witness. And they're going to try to get you their watchtower material. And they're targeting, they're trained to target people who do not know their doctrine. So tonight and probably next Wednesday, uh, I'm going to go through uh, some actual questions uh, that they will ask you and try to get you to, to uh, doubt some things. And the reason I'm going to do this is to show you how much work you and I need to put into studying and knowing our doctrine and being able to go into God's Word and show it from God's Word. Um, and so I'm going to give you a, a number of questions tonight. We're going to look at a few of them in detail, and then I'm going to just give you a list of some more questions just to get your brain moving on some things that maybe if you're weak in them, maybe you need to go to Scripture and look up and find out why do I hold to this doctrine? You, you need to be solid on it. Because before we start telling them that they're wrong, we need to make certain that we know what our truth is, uh, or they will pick it apart. All right? Um, by the way, there is, there is an inexhaustibility to this book. I think you and I would agree with that. That being said, we will never, this side of heaven, know everything there is to know about the Bible. And there is no problem, although I, I would hope that it would be rare, but there is no problem if somebody asks you a question you don't know to say, give me some time to, to look that up. Uh, I've studied it before, but I don't have all the references right at mind. There's nothing wrong with doing that and saying, can we meet again? And I promise you, if you ask them for another meeting, they're going to come back. All right? But make sure you're solid. And I hope you can give an answer to most of these. But if not, at least don't make something up. All right? Don't say, well, my pastor said so, so it's got to be true. Uh, that's not a good authority, all right? Uh, you need to have Scripture for it, all right? Now, we're going to answer this out of the King James Bible because that's what we hold to. That's what our doctrine is. And so on these questions, we're going to do that. Now, when we get to questions that we ought to be asking them, we're going to actually use their New World Translation to show how that is wrong in their own writings. Because, again, they're going, to, they're going to not listen to anything that is anti-Jehovah's uh, Witness. And while they may say, 
Well, we could use the King James Version too. They do not think that this is a quality translation. They think that this is inferior, that it's highly flawed, and that their New World Translation is a much better translation. So uh, there is enough in their own in their own writings that contradicts their own teaching that initially when you're dealing with questions you're going to ask them uh, to get started, to get them to see that what they're being taught, what they're being uh, directed to believe in, is erroneous in their own writings. And then as they realize that, now we can step in with Scripture and say, now here's truth, and show them the truth from uh, the King James Bible and what they need to believe. All right, Acts chapter 17. Uh, that's just kind of a preface for tonight. Uh, Acts chapter 17, we'll read four verses here. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, uh, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, notice this, and I love this phrase, as his manner was. Wouldn't that be wonderful if it could be said of you and I that we do something for the cause of Christ and it's as our manner is? That's part of our character. It's habitual. That's what we do. We're noted for that. It characterizes us. Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them. Now, where, where's he at? Verse 17, look at this. He says, he's, they came to Thessalonica where a synagogue where was a synagogue of the who? The Jews. Okay, keep that in mind for a minute. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them. If he's going into the synagogue of the Jews, who's he speaking to? The Jews. Okay, we're all on the same page here. We got that? Pretty simple so far. Uh, and three Sabbath days. Do you see that? Reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. There's a lot to be said about this. Don't give up. It may take some time. And when we come to the point of giving them the truth, it needs to be from the Scriptures. We better be grounded in it. Now notice in verse number 3, he says, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed. Another, another point here. Not all Jehovah's Witnesses that you take time to witness to and try to work with are going to, are going to be converted out of Jehovah's Witness. Uh, some will. And that's what we praise, that God will work on their hearts. That's all we can do. They must make their choice. But the Bible says, And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude. Now, isn't that interesting? The Jews rejected him. The Greeks... The Gentiles, uh, there was quite a few of them. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and out of the devout Jews, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. And so it seemed to be more women than men. But notice what verse 5 says. But the Jews which believe not. There's going to be some that won't. There's going to be some that won't. Does that mean that when we come across some that won't, that we just throw our hands up and say, Pastor was crazy, this doesn't work. Or the Bible must not be accurate because it said if I would do this, that people could get saved from it. No, no. You need to make this your manner. As your manner was. It ought to be, it ought to be natural for you and I to talk about the things of the Lord. And we ought to study well enough that we are well versed, whether we're talking to Mormons or whether we're talking to Jehovah's Witnesses, or whether we're talking to Muslims, 
We need to be well-versed in our Scripture. We need to know how to handle it well. It's interesting, in all of the studying I've done, I have found some Jehovah's Witnesses that have come out of Jehovah's Witness and have gone into churches that what we would consider to be biblically and doctrinally sound, very, very few. The vast majority of them go either into Mormonism or Catholicism or the New Age, Word of Faith, name it and claim it type ministries. Very, very few come out of the Jehovah's Witnesses into what we would consider to be strong, doctrinally sound churches. There are more Mormons that come out of Mormonism that come into our type of churches than there are Jehovah's Witnesses. And that's sad. What makes that sad is it indicates one of two things. Either they're going from error to error and God is not truly working in their hearts. Or we as God's people who have what we believe to be the doctrinally sound truth of God's Word have neglected reaching out to the Jehovah's Witnesses. And I would far rather say the second is the more probable reason. It's because for far too long we have closed the door and said not interested. Not interested. And the reason we've said not interested is, one, either we were not burdened or concerned about them, or two, we were too afraid to talk to them because we did not know our doctrine well enough. And either one of those are, are things that we have to say, Lord, forgive me for that. I will do better. Alright, so I'm going to give you some questions that they're going to ask when they come to your door. And the, I, I'm not going to give them in any order. They may or may not start with this one. I'm going to give you a few of them. But uh, they may ask this one here. Uh, what is God's name. That's usually one of the first ones that they'll ask you. What is God's name? Now, through this, they're going to try to get you to make some statements and then they're going to twist some scripture and try to show that Jesus then is not God. And this is where they're going with this. You need to know where they're going with this when they ask it. Alright? So what is God's name in scripture? You need to know what what this is, or at least be able to give an answer to them. That's a credible answer. Uh, first of all, there are numerous names of God, not just one. Now, what the Hebrews consider to be God's proper name is an unpronounceable word in the Hebrew uh, alphabet. If we were to transliterate it into uh, English letters, would be the letter Y H. W H. You gotta keep in mind in the ancient Hebrew language there were no vowels. Uh, they just had consonants. And it was pronounced as best that most people can remember or, or know of. It was pronounced almost as a breath, almost as a sigh. Uh, some people will use the word Yahweh. Have you heard that one around? Okay, Yahweh is not God's proper name. What they did is they took some letters from the name Adonai and added some vowels in uh, and tried to create a word. Uh, Yahweh is not God's proper name, but Y-H-W-H is. It's unpronounceable in the English language. 
And um, when this was in the Hebrew, when, when the King James translators came across this name, they would always use capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D, meaning that this is speaking of Almighty God, uh, who has the Hebrew name of YHWH. Uh, there are a few times that they have used uh, the word Jehovah, which is an English transliteration. It's not a translation of the Hebrew word. It's actually trying to bring it straight across from the Hebrew without translating it. And oftentimes when it is used in this way, it is either used as a standalone or it is added to one of his attributes. For instance, um, in Genesis chapter 22, if you'll take a moment to turn there, we'll see one of these accounts where they left this particular name uh, untranslated. Now, they did put it in English lettering so we can say it in the English language, but they did not translate uh, the meaning of this name or, or they, they just left it alone. All right? So Genesis chapter 22 and verse number 14. Genesis chapter 22, verse number 14. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Uh, and so they left this, this Hebrew word Jireh uh, in there. Uh, that's the way we would pronounce it in English. It's a Hebrew word, though. It's not an English word. Um, it deals with God's provision, the fact that He provides things for us. Uh, and so when He talks about in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen, uh, He's speaking about what God is going to uh, provide in place of Isaac, uh, where he says God will provide himself a lamb. And so he called the place Jehovah-Jireh, because in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. Um, and so he's speaking here of God's provision. So this name is obviously a name referring to God, the deity that we refer to as Almighty God, uh, the Heavenly Father. All right, uh, Isaiah chapter number 9. Let's go there for a moment. So, Anytime you see the, the capital letters L, capital O, capital R, capital D, we are referring to God's name um, in the English King James Bible. In Genesis chapter 22, we do see the word Jehovah Jireh. There are a number of places, I think there are four specifically in the Old Testament, that just use the name Jehovah by itself as part of God's, as God's name. Uh, but also look with me in Isaiah chapter number 9. Isaiah chapter number 9. And this is an interesting one. In fact, you can use this one when they finally get around to making their claim that Jesus is not the same as God. Alright? You can actually use this passage. Isaiah chapter number 9. Let's look at verse number 6. The Bible says this, and it's, it's prophetically speaking of the birth of the Lord Jesus. There's no doubt about this. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name, speaking of the one that is born, shall be Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty, capital G-O-D, the Mighty God, the Everlasting, capital F-A-T-H-E-R, the Prince of Peace. Now, obviously, there's no doubt that it is speaking of the birth of the Lord Jesus. 
And Isaiah prophesies that his name, Jesus' name, is going to be all of these. You say, well, didn't they say his name is going to be Jesus? That's what the angel told Mary and Joseph that his name was to be. They also said that his name was to be Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So Jesus had a number of names in Scripture, didn't he? And they allude to the fact that he is God. He's not just an offspring that was created from God. He is actually part of the Godhead. And so you need to keep in mind that that when they deal with this, they're going to try to get you narrowed down to one name. And they're going to say, okay, this YHWH is Jehovah. That's what it is. It's Jehovah. We've studied the Greek. We've gone back in the Greek. And that's always their big thing. Uh, our New World Translation, they'll say, is, is we've been back to the original languages, the ancient languages, and we are much better uh, translated than the King James Scriptures. And so they're going to try to get you to, to narrow it down to one name and say it's just Jehovah. No, God has numerous names in Scripture. And they're all the names of God. Because you cannot put a single name on such an infinite God and do it justice. Uh, he is so vast that all of these names are His names. All of them fit Him. Uh, I call my son, Jonathan. Sometimes I call him John. A lot of times I call him Bubba. But he knows any one of those names that I use, I mean him. And he's coming. I hope he's coming. <laughs> Unless he's not listening. Because there are multiple names. I remember as a kid, my sister could not call me brother, so she called me Boozer. Terrible name for a preacher's kid, isn't it? The sad thing was, the neighbors next door, and this is no lie, had a dog, and his name was Budweiser, and they called me Boozer. So that was not a good thing. But anyway, my Later on, it didn't sound good, so they shortened it to Boo. So most of my life, I grew up, people called me Boo. Sometimes my friends or family would call me Greg. Uh, my aunts and uncles, they all called me Greggy. In fact, I called my aunt the other day. I'm 52, almost 53 years old next month, and she still calls me Greggy. I called and talked to my uncle a few months ago. I was out at Oshkosh with him. He calls me Greggy. But if my mom ever said Gregory Wayne Booer, Boy, that was, that was my proper name. So there are a lot of names in Scripture for God. Don't let them nail you down on this one. You need to keep that in mind. Uh, Daniel chapter 7, we'll see another one that he is called. Daniel chapter number 7. Daniel chapter 7, two different places here. Verse number 13. Daniel is writing here, he says, And I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days. And they brought him near before him. The Ancient of Days is another name. Verse number 22, once again you'll see it. Until the Ancient of Days, again, capital A, came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. So again, in reference to God. Uh, he's referred to there as the Most High. The Ancient of Days is a name that's given to him. So they're going to try to pin you down on just one name. They're going to try to get you to say it's just Jehovah. They're going to take you to passages where Jehovah is used in your King James Bible. They're going to say, ha ha, there it is. That's God's name. And every time you see the word L-O-R-D capitalized, that's not really God's name. That's just what the translators put. And what they're trying to say is the translators got it wrong. Well, we know better than that. 
Not only did God inspire the Word of God supernaturally, He preserved His Word supernaturally and assisted those translators in translating exactly what He intended there to be. And you're going to see why in a minute. Why it is so vitally important that we understand that capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is referring to God Himself, all right? The deity that we call God. Uh, because it is so vitally important that we tie it together with who the Lord Jesus is. All right? So then another question they're going to say, after they pin you down on this thing of Jehovah, they're going to say, okay, then where in Scripture does it say that Jesus is the same as Jehovah? And they're going to use that word. They're not going to say Lord. They're going to say the same as Jehovah. So we've got to point out and show them, and you've got to know this, that capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is the English translated word that is used for the name of God. All right? It's not dealing with L, capital L, lowercase o-r-d, which deals more with his position and his authority. Uh, it's more of a title. Whereas capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D is dealing with the name of God himself. We're calling him by name. All right? Acts chapter 10, they're going to ask you this question. Where in Scripture does it say that Jesus is the same as Jehovah? Now, I'm going to give you a number of uh, scriptures here, I've got, I think, about eight or nine. There's there's more, vastly more. But we're going to use these tonight, and uh, I'll give these to you. So when that happens, you need to say, okay, uh, I'll show you where Jesus is, Jehovah, where He's God, all right? Um, Acts chapter number 10. And uh, let's start in verse number 34. Acts chapter 10, verse number 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel preaching. So what word are we talking about? We're talking about the message of the gospel here. The word I say uh, the word uh, which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. And then you see this phrase. He is what? Of what? All. There's only one God that can have that attribute given to Him, that can claim that phrase. He is Lord of all. Speaking of Jesus Christ. Alright? So that's that's one area that we can say, okay, this shows that Jesus is God. Alright? John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I love verse number 1, and it's very, very simple to use. In the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Now, they're going to try to take that apart. They're going to say, okay, how could the Word be with God and be God at the same time? But there, there's a progression here that John is laying out about the Word. And, of course, we understand from the context of the chapter that he's referencing here Jesus Christ. He starts with the fact of the eternality of Christ. In the beginning was the Word. Then he's dealing with the relationship of Christ and the Word was with God, and now He's dealing with who Christ is, and the Word was God. Alright? You need to keep that in mind, because they'll try to trip you up by saying, well, that doesn't make any sense, because how can He be with God and be God at the same time? They're going to do that with a lot of your Scripture. 
And you need to know your doctrine here. Alright? The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Speaking of who? The Word. Right? How many things were made by Him? All things were made by Him. Now, what the Jehovah's Witnesses are going to tell you is, Jehovah made Christ, Jesus, and then Jesus created everything else. But we're going to look at something here in just a minute that will help you with that. All right? The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now, that negates their argument that God created Jesus. Because without Him, without Jesus, was not anything made that was made. So if they say that Jesus was made, then they're saying that that's not true. They're saying that Jesus made Himself in that instance, which if He did, then He's God. All right, He has no beginning, He has no end. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, capital L, light, that all men through him might believe. So the Word and the light are both speaking of the same person. That all men through him might believe. He was not that light, speaking of John, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was what? It was what? Made by Him, and the world knew Him not. He came unto His own, and His own what? Keep that phrase in mind. We're going to see that again here in just a few moments, Lord willing, if we get that far. Alright? Came to His own, and His own received Him not. Alright? Now let's go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Look in verse number 28. Thomas is uh, seeing Christ for the first time, his first time. Not the disciples, but his first time. He now believes because he has touched Christ. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord, capital L-O-R-D. Now, once we get to the New Testament, oftentimes the L, capital L, lowercase O-R-D, is in reference to Jesus Himself. Not just the position, but referring to Him. He says, My Lord and my what? Who's He saying this to? Jesus. Thomas calls Him His God. Capital G-O-D. Alright? So that shows again that Jesus is God. Because... You know, they're, they're, they do not believe that. They believe that Jesus is a created being, just like you and I are. Acts chapter number 10. And by the way, they may take you to John 3.16 and say, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Therefore, they're going to say, Well, begotten there, that means that He was created by God. No, no. That's speaking of relationship. Father-Son relationship. Jesus was from the beginning. The Bible is very clear about that, and there's plenty of Scriptures to show that. Alright, let's go to Acts chapter number 10 and verse number 36. The Word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, He is... Oh, I, I already did that one, didn't I? I'm sorry. I already gave you that one. Romans chapter 9. Sorry about that. 
I looked at the wrong path, wrong part on my notes here. Romans chapter ten, uh, Romans chapter nine. I'm sorry. Romans chapter nine, verse number one. Paul says this: I say the truth in Christ; I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came who is over What's the next phrase here? All. Speaking of Christ. He is over what? All. God bless forever. Amen. Now, I'm going to mention this also. Not only does that help show that He is God, but one of the questions they're going to ask you at some point is, who is ruler of this world today? And they're going to go to a passage that says that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. They're going to say that Satan is the ruler of the, the world today. That is, not, that is not the case. The Lord is ruler over all. Satan is being given influence in the world today. But he is not the ruler of the world today. And God is allowing that so man has a free choice and can make his choosing. But there's going to come a day where Satan will not stand a chance against the Lord Jesus. By the word of his mouth, he's going to speak and Satan's going to be defeated. So you cannot tell me that Satan is the one that is the ruler, that is the one that has all the power over the world today. Because God certainly holds everything in balance. People worry about climate change. Can I put your mind at rest? God holds it in balance. It rains when He decides it's going to rain. It gets cold when He decides it's going to get cold. And the leaves change when He decides that they're going to change. And there's nothing you and I can do that are going, that's going to cause Him to be up there biting His nails saying, I can't hold it all together anymore. These people have gone crazy. That is putting a limit on God. He holds everything in balance, the Bible says. Now we're going to look at two passages. We need to take both of these together. Isaiah chapter 40 first. Isaiah chapter number 40 and verse number 3. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. Boy, that sounds familiar. I've heard that somewhere before. In fact, I think I've heard that in the New Testament, didn't I? In fact, I think a few of the Gospels have it. Three of them to be exact. The voice of one that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the, notice this word, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, in reference to God Almighty. Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway, unless they say, well, that's a typo, the King James translator shouldn't have done that, read the rest of the verse. Make straight in the desert a highway for our capital G O D God. 
Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. The glory of the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Now, keep that phrase in mind. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to look at least one of the Gospels accounts of this. Uh, there are uh, two others. Luke and Mark both address this. Matthew chapter 2. Let's look in verse number 10. Matthew chapter 2 and verse number 10. When they saw the star, this is speaking of the wise men, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary and his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gold, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they, they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Now, the reason I went all the way back here is so that there's no doubt this is speaking of the birth of Jesus Christ. All right? And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother. By the way, let me just stop there for a minute. Could God have protected Jesus other ways besides going to Egypt? Sure he could. Some people say, well, he had, a, he had to scramble to make a plan B here and have him flee to Egypt. Well, the reason he fled to Egypt was because it had been prophesied and it was a sign of the fact that he is the Son of God. This is the whole reason that it had to happen. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt, and there was until the, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, "Out of Egypt have I called my son." Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, In Ramah there was, uh, was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the uh, young child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. He arose and took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go hither or thither, notwithstanding. Being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth. Now, is that a mistake? Was God up there biting his nails, saying, well, this son of Herod is there, i got, got to divert him into Nazareth? No, notice what the Bible says. That it might be what? Isn't it amazing? The prophecies of the Bible are 100% accurate. The validity that we need to know that our Bible is the Word of God is needs to look no further than answered prophecies. One of the great fallacies of the Book of Mormon, Pearl of Great Price uh, with the Mormon faith, the New World Translation with the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Koran with the Muslims, is that there are prophecies that did not come true. And therefore, it is not to be trusted. 
He did it that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. By the way, not a Nazarite. A lot of people get that mixed up. Okay? Nazarite was somebody who took a vow, grew his hair long, a lot of, a lot of rules, very strict rules. Uh, he was not a Nazarite. He was a Nazarene. He was from the city of Nazareth. That's all it means. In those days, speaking of the time that, that Jesus was in Nazareth, in those days, John the Baptist came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, that's what we just read in Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, capital L, lowercase o-r-d, speaking of Christ, and he's saying it about Jesus, that this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. But when the prophet Isaiah said it, he used God's name. L-O-R-D, all capitalized. John's saying, this is He. This is God in flesh. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, make His paths straight. Hebrews chapter number 1. So again, folks, I'm not saying you have to have all of these references memorized, although it would not hurt. But you need to know that it's in the Bible. And you need to be able to find it and say, this is where it shows that Jesus is God Himself. Alright? Um, Hebrews chapter 1. And we'll probably just get through this question. And I'm going to give you a bunch of questions just I'll read you a few of them off so you can be thinking about them this week. All right? Hebrews chapter 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son. By the way, good, good word of something that we need to know about people getting new revelation from God. In times past, He spoke by the prophets and the fathers. Now, He says, in these last days has spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom he also, whom also He made the worlds, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. That's, that says a lot about Him, doesn't it? He's in the glory, He's in the brightness of God's glory, and He's in the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power. When He had Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Who's holding all things by the word of His power? Jesus. Only God can do that. That's only something that can be attributed to God Almighty. Being made so much better than the angels, as He hath thy inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, for unto which of the angels said He at any time, Thou art my Son, capital S, this day have I begotten thee, and again I will be unto Him a Father, and He shall be unto me a Son. And they may say, ha-ha, I got you. So there's a father, and there's a son, and they're not the same. But notice what God said. And again, when He bringeth in the first begotten into the world, He saith, and let all the angels of God worship Him. And of the angels, He saith, who maketh His angels spirits and ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, He saith, who saith? God. God is saying this to the Son. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. 
wait a minute. God the Father is telling God the, or addressing God the Son as oh God? How can that be? Well, they don't believe in the Trinity. And so they're going to try to punch holes and they don't understand this passage because they don't believe in the Trinity. They believe what they've been taught from the Watchtower organization. They do not believe what the Scripture says about it. He says, Under the sun, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Uh, I've got... Can you give me two minutes? I've got one more, one more verse for us, for two more passages to look at, but one, one point. Give me, give me two more minutes, okay? We'll be done. Um, Isaiah 44. Let's go back there again. Isaiah 44. And this will finish us at a good point where we can cut off and start uh, without having to interrupt the thought here. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 24. Thus saith the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, speaking of God Himself. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, that ought to tell you something, and He that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that maketh all things. Wait a minute. Didn't we read a passage a little bit ago that said Jesus made all things? John chapter number 1, verse number 3. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Wait a minute. Isaiah says that the Lord maketh all things. That stretched forth the heavens alone. He did it alone. Nobody helped Him. Wait a minute. Jesus had a part in creation. The Holy Spirit had a part in creation. And yet God did it Alone, the Trinity. Pretty amazing, isn't it? That spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. Nobody helped him. Nobody helped him. Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 10. And thou, Lord, capital L, lowercase o r d, speaking of Jesus, in the beginning hast laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. That sure puts a wrinkle in their idea that Jesus is not God. You need to be able to show them that. When they say, well, where in the Bible does it say that Jesus is Jehovah? You've got quite a few to choose from. That's not even all of them. When we deal with the Trinity, in John chapter 10 and verse number 30, Jesus said this, I and my Father are one. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? They're going to ask you, where does the Scripture say that God is a trinity? You better know your Bible on this. Because I'll tell you this, if you go to the lexicon or you go to a concordance and try to find trinity in your King James Bible, guess what? It's not in there. But the trinity is found throughout Scripture. They may ask you about the triune God. That's just a fancy word for the Trinity. All right? They may ask you this. Do you truly believe all things the Bible promised are going to come to pass? And they're going to try to point out prophecies that seem to be 
way out there and don't make any logical sense. They're really big on logical arguments. But then you can easily say, in their history, they've had a number of prophecies that did not happen. They may ask you, um, doesn't Matthew 28, 19, and 20 prove that Jehovah and Jesus are totally separate beings? Since it lists them separate. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And they're going to say, well, that's three distinct things. It's not all God. Uh, so they're going to try to refute the Trinity. They may ask you, and these are some questions. Um, since Jesus died and Jesus is God, then are we saying that God died? And if that was the case, who resurrected him? Did a dead person resurrect himself? Now this comes, and they're going to word it like that, and if you're not careful, you won't catch what they're doing. But understand where they're coming from. They believe that if a person dies and is not going to be part of the 144,000 or part of the great multitude that lives on the earth that's a paradise again, that when you die, life just ends. In fact, they believe that about Jesus. They believe that when he died on the on they call it a, a torture stake. They don't believe it was a cross anymore. They used to, but they changed it. Um, they believe that when he died and he was put in the grave, that when he rose, his body stayed there and just disintegrated, dissolved, rotted like any other body, because they felt like that was the cessation of life uh, for Jesus, because he was a created being, and that he rose as a spirit in a spirit form. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about all that. But they're going to ask you if you believe that Jesus is God and Jesus died, then are you saying that God died? No, we're not saying that God died because Jesus, even though His flesh and His body died, was Jesus dead? Himself? His persona? His, his being? Oh, no. He was in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights, wasn't He? He was preaching to the captives. And then he rose the third day. So yes, the body, the shell, the flesh was dead. But we're not saying that Jesus ceased to exist at that point. And that's something that Jehovah's Witnesses will say. They'll say he ceased to exist then. That he became the spirit body again. And they believe that he became Michael, the archangel. And they believe that Michael is the heavenly form of Jesus and that Jesus was the earthly form of Michael. Uh, they're going to ask you questions about that. Okay? Uh, they, they'll give you four passages primarily on that issue. Three of them don't make any sense and don't really back up their mindset unless they believe that death is a cessation of life. That's the only way those would make any sense. The only one that they have that they can really lean on, and if you're not careful, you won't understand what they're doing, is First Thessalonians chapter 4. But the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel. And they'll use that passage and say, See there? The Lord is descending. It's the archangel. Well, it just says he's going to come with the voice of the archangel. If you use their logic, it says, and with the trump of God, then if you're saying he is the archangel because he has the voice of an archangel, then you're also saying that he is a trumpet of God. <laughs> so you can't use that same argument all the way through that. But they're going to use some things like that. So they're going to ask you some of these questions. They're going to ask you about why you celebrate Christmas and uh, that Christmas, December 25th, Christmas was chosen to be... December 25th because there was a pagan holiday on December 25th. And that's true. There was a pagan holiday on, on the 25th. We don't celebrate the pagan holiday. We celebrate Christ's birth. Um, 25th is when we did it. We could have chosen any date. 
Um, Monday, uh, the day that we get the word, or the, the day of the week that we call Monday, uh, was named that because of the moon god. Does that mean we're not going to observe Monday? Um, Saturday was named for Saturn, which people worshipped the planet Saturn. Are we going to not have Saturdays anymore? We're going to deny they exist. Thursday, believe it or not, was after the Greek god Thor. That's how it got its name. Uh, are we going to then say that we don't observe Mondays, Thursdays, or Saturdays because they were associated with something pagan? No. We're not worshiping a pagan god when we call it Monday or Thursday or Saturday. Any more than we're worshiping a pagan god when we celebrate the birth of our Savior on December the 25th. Now, was he born on December the 25th? No. no. More than likely, was certainly not near that. Uh, and was there a pagan holiday initially on the 25th? Well, sure. But that doesn't mean we're worshiping that pagan god. And they'll bring up the issue of Santa Claus, and we're like, okay, how did that get into the discussion? When we come to church on Christmas Day or have communion around that time, we're not having communion to Santa Claus. We're, we're recognizing Christ's birth. So that doesn't really hold water. So there's a lot of questions they're going to ask you. You need to know your Bible. You need to know your doctrine. Uh, be able to handle it well, use it well. All these notes I'm giving you, I'll give you a list of questions. I've, I've probably got a list of maybe 40 or more questions that they can and probably will ask you. And when we're done with this study, I'll give you copies of that with verses that will help you with that. Um, I would tell you this, uh, when I give you some extra questions, next week I'll just give you a longer list of just questions and without going into detail. What I'm trying to do, I'm not going to spoon feed all of it to you uh, from the Scriptures unless you just absolutely go to Scripture and you can't find it, then come see me. But what I am trying to do is show you with four or five of these how you need to dig into Scripture and find something in Scripture that supports that doctrine uh, so that you know that your doctrine is based in the Word of God um, and show you how to come across those things and look them up and find them. There's enough Bible apps on the online that you can look up verses on subjects. You can look up verses in so many different ways. It's unreal. And uh, I promise you, you can find the verses that you need um, to help with these things. So we'll give you a bunch of questions. You ought to be familiar with at least all of them that they might be able to ask. And you ought to at least have some working knowledge. I would say the matter of eternity for these folks is so vitally crucial that really it warrants the effort of you and I to put into studying these Scriptures and knowing where we stand on our doctrine. We don't need them picking apart our doctrine and us not having an answer. We need to be able to go back to the Bible and if we can answer their questions by saying, here it is in our Bible, then, then say, now I'm going to ask you to return the faith. I've got questions for you, and I want you to show me out of your Bible. And be able to point out and know what's in their Bible so that you can show the discrepancies. All right? Okay, I know that was a long evening, a lot of material, but um, I want to get to a good breaking off point there. Uh, folks, it'll... It's worth the study. It's worth the work. Okay? These folks are lost. And they don't know it. They don't realize it. And they need the gospel. Alright? Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we do pray that you bless our time that we spend studying. May you help us. Give us understanding. Would you give us the desire, the burden, to put in the work and the effort to learn your word. And Lord, while our brains 
as we get older, don't always work as well as they did when we were younger. 